Hey everyone, this is Blake. Just a quick note before the start of the show, I would like to hear your ideas. If you head over to halfhourintern.com, at the top there is a link that says submit your ideas. If you yourself do a cool or interesting job or hobby or you know someone who does, you can submit it through there. As well, if you have a question that you wish that I had asked a previous guest of the show, you can submit those there as well. And about once a month, I'll be doing a frequently asked questions show where I go over missed opportunities for questions from interviews. So thank you in advance for for all of your ideas and onto the show. I walked into this store by my house and I says, you know what? I do a lot of shopping here. And I had a bag of chips in my hand that was open and a jar of salsa. I cracked the jar of salsa right in front of him. I said, try this now, right now, please just try it. And so he was like rolling his eyes, man. And he, he dipped into the chips and he tried it and he goes, wow. He goes, this is the best jarred salsa I've ever had. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. I'm really excited to bring you today's episode. In it, I interview Tim Wilhite about starting his own salsa company. So Tim took making a salsa that he really loved at home all the way to having a salsa that was carried on the shelves of national chain grocery stores. So Tim will go over that entire story, how all that took place, the scaling of a salsa company or you know your own food company from home, how you get distribution, and just how the heck you get a national chain grocery store to agree to carry your product. He then went on to sell his company for quite a bit of money, and he goes over kind of what went into that decision um, to sell the company rather than carrying on with it and trying, trying to make it his lifelong career. So a lot of great advice here from Tim. If you happen to make a mean chili or you make a great barbecue sauce that all your friends love, definitely one that you're going to want to listen to and see if maybe it's something that you could turn into a career for yourselves. Without further ado, here is Tim with Salsapreneur. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to share my experiences with you. Dude, we are so happy to have you share your experiences with us. So let's just get right into it and take us deep back into the history of when you were just a young Tim at home making some good salsa and what the heck happened. Well, you know what, man? I tell you what. I used to... We, I love Mexican food and I would go out to eat and there just never was that perfect salsa. And working in the Mexican food business, I was a food server for Garcia's. I don't know if you recognize that name, but there used to be a restaurant chain called Garcia's out there. They had a decent salsa. And then eventually from that experience, I went into restaurant management and uh, started working in some of the Apoyo Asados where they did the Mexican food concept. And then that is when I started. I was about 18 years old and I started dabbling in making my own type of salsa recipe. Um, and there just never seemed to be enough spice, enough flavor, enough everything just to, to make me happy. So, so I at the make... time you started, I assume you were, you're obviously only doing this for yourself. You were just in the search of the perfect salsa to please Tim. Totally, totally. And so from doing that, um, I used to make it for people, you know, and, and I'm an x-ray tech by trade after I got out of the food business. So while I was going to school to learn how to be an x-ray tech, I would bring the salsa into the hospital where I worked, and people would eat it, and they'd be like, oh, man, this is fantastic. We just love it. And then I would make up some carne asada on the weekends, and I'd have friends come over. I have a lot of Hispanic friends, and 
they would eat the salsa and they'd say, oh, man, salsa Timoteo, they'd always say, because my name, <laughs> my name Timothy in Spanish is Timoteo. Yeah. So uh, after a while, you know, the people at the hospital, my friends are like, oh, man, you got to sell this. I mean, isn't that what everybody tells somebody that makes something good? Yeah, like, no doubt. Dude, you got to sell this, man. You can get rich. But that's not the case. I'm still working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. So in any event, uh, started uh, bringing in the folks says, you got to sell it. I said, no, I can't sell it. But they entered me in a contest in 1997. So in 1997, I entered the Xerox Southwest Salsa Challenge. And I think there was about maybe nine contestants. And it was in the parking lot of a restaurant called Enchilada's Mexican Food. So mm-hmm. we entered this contest, and we ended up taking grand champion of, you know, the whole ten salsas that entered. So I thought, man, I'm the salsa king. This is great. What, what a privilege. And, and it was a very small contest. But what's ironic now here in 2015 that salsa contest has grown into the largest salsa tasting event in the United States. And it raises, it raises the most amount of money for the Hemophilia Association locally here in Arizona. Man, so that I'm very, is very awesome. Part of that. So how long was it after uh, you started making salsa? You said it was in 97 that you entered that contest? That was the very first premiere of Salsa Timoteo. Okay, how long was that after you had started making Salsa Timoteo that you finally entered it in a contest? Ooh, so it had to be, it was a good five years probably. Okay, so you have five years. During this five years, are you every day kind of tweaking and perfecting your recipe, or did you land on a recipe you wanted and you stuck to it for five years? No, you know, I, I was a tweaker. That's probably a bad word, but I tweaked, the salsa. <laughs> <laughs> I tweaked the salsa all the time. I was just never happy, and trying different chilies and different combinations to get that perfect flavor is so crucial as well because I had to learn how to use the chilies, what they taste like, what their heat level was, how much cilantro do I want. And so I really played with it quite a bit. And luckily, um, I had an awesome mentor. His name is Bill Grabowski. And uh, he's the one that kind of took me under his wing in the Mexican food industry um, at El Pollo Asado. And then he actually opened up his own chain of restaurants called Jalapeno's. And then he kind of helped me a little bit with my salsa to get it right as well. And we spent many nights overnight in his restaurant just playing with salsa and tweaking it and stuff. It was a lot of fun. Awesome, man. So I'm really hoping that there is some kind of uh, American Idol star search-like thing that happens at this uh, contest after you win, you win the whole thing, that somebody comes up to you and says, Tim, and they just decide to give you millions of dollars to make your salsa. Is that how it happened? Gosh, I tell you, that's exactly what I thought too, Blake. I was like, oh my gosh, how come nobody doesn't know who I am and walk up here and go, Tim, I'm Jim Jones from Tostitos and we want your salsa. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Unfortunately, man, life doesn't work that way because the competition is so so hot out there for salsa and sauces. It's a billion dollar industry. And these days, salsa outsells ketchup four to one. I don't know if you know that, but salsa is the number one selling condiment in America. That's incredible. Uh, I mean, that makes sense, though. I can't remember the last time I used ketchup, and I use salsa, you know, many times a week. So, and you're like everybody else in America. I mean, everybody loves salsa. Who doesn't? It's almost like if you don't love salsa, you're un-American, yeah. even though it's Mexican. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, it's true. So. Um, Back, back to your, uh, what was your question again? So after the contest, basically what, what happened that it led to you actually being able to uh, make this on a larger scale? So, you know, as the contest, we started doing the contest more and more. And so from 97, we entered in 98, 99. And 
Um, through the years, we ended up winning over 33 local trophies, and we also entered a few national contests, too, just to, to dabble a little bit. So come about, we started selling the salsa just kind of uh, under the table in our kitchen, and the first account that I got the salsa into to start buying it, just like I say, as mom and pop under the table, we weren't really legal, as you would say, um, was the hospital that I did my clinical rotation in as an x-ray tech where the people were that kind of got me involved in the contest. Mm -hmm. So ironic story there is I sold it there for years at Thunderbird Hospital here in Arizona. And about 2005, I was contacted by the Board of Health, and they said, Mr. Wilhite, you know, we see your salsa everywhere, because I had a few other accounts by 2005 where the salsa was being sold. They said, we just need to come inspect your kitchen. We don't know where you're at. And I said, sure, come on over to my house. I make it here in my kitchen. Oh, my and God. Said, whoa, whoa, stop everything. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, so this is something that I happen to know about that I came across a few years ago. But So go ahead and explain for, for people that have no idea what, what you're talking about or why that would be a problem. Well, you know, uh, the Board of Health has an issue with people making food in their own kitchen, and especially if it doesn't have the proper setup, like uh, stainless steel countertops, and everything has to be appropriately sanitized and different chemicals. So in any event, uh, we had to find a commercial kitchen where we could manufacture our product if we wanted to stay in kind of business. So I told the wife, I says, here we are, 2005. We can either just quit now and say, hey, sorry, we did that. Or we can take this stuff big time and start bottling it with a co uh, a co packer and get this stuff in stores and start really trying to push this and make some money. So a co packer, that's what you were talking about before. Yeah. So a co packer is somebody that somebody who wanted to get into business like this. They could actually. Uh, there's probably tons. No matter where you live, there's co packers and these people. They make their own products and they sell them to stores. But they also will make your product for you. Put your label on it box it up for you, and then sell it to you at, of course, a reduced price. Yeah. Sale even. Yeah. That, so, that's so funny that the one place that you were selling it was inside of a hospital where there are food and safety people there on such a regular <laughs> basis. You're just like begging to get caught, you know? Well, you know, I am in sales, so whatever it takes to get the job done, they're like, okay, Tim, we'll help you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, anyway... Uh, and getting the business started was very fruitful. Doing the contest was great. And then we did the contest in, under the guise of um, helping out the Hemophilia Association because it is for a charity that the contest was. And through the years, man, th this contest just grew into this enormous event where we had to actually go to a stadium and there would be over 100 entrants into this contest. Wow. Yeah. And so after a while, you know, I got bored of, I mean, we just kept winning. So we kind of retired. <laughs> it I must know. be hard to just get bored <laughs> from winning so much. <laughs> but um, we just we just decided to retire, give some other folks a shot. And uh, as a matter of fact, then the, the Hemophilia Association asked me if I'd be interested in becoming the head judge of the event. Um, so I took over as head judge and got a lot of publicity from that because I was always doing media interviews and stuff at the time of the contest. And uh, after a while, uh, the Hemophilia Association asked me if I would be interested in serving on their board of directors. So it just kind of parlayed into, you know, the salsa helping out, you know, the Hemophilia Association events helped me. And then I was giving back and trying to help out the association as well. That's so awesome, man. It was a good feeling deal. Yeah, full circle, like it should be. Uh -huh. So a question for anybody out there who is, you know, makes a really good barbecue sauce or a salsa of their own. Is there any sort of 
leeway or wiggle room for somebody that, let's say, only wants to sell at the farmer's market or locally to some neighbors or whatever it is, or according to the FDA, if you are selling your product at any level, it needs to be made in one of these facilities? You know, that's a good question, Blake. And unfortunately, these days, uh, the FDA itself even has to inspect the kitchen where it's made. So, for example, you know, I used to make it in my kitchen, and then we did do the farmer's markets and things like that. Um, but back when we did it, the farmer's markets didn't have to be as uh, diligent in having paperwork and making sure that I have a business license and a Department of Environmental Quality or Health and Human Services, whatever it may be, in your part of town. But uh, you have to be approved by the folks that inspect kitchens. And then nowadays you have to show that to these folks that run the farmer's market. Wow, I didn't know that. That's terrible. I mean, hey, it's funny. I Obviously, that's great because you know that someone's not going to get sick from eating your food. But at the same time, that's so terrible. It does because now you don't get that quality homemade stuff that you crave when you go to the farmer's markets. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it's protecting us too because, you know, with hepatitis, salmonella, and all these things out there, you know, it, it, I guess it's a double-edged sword, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that no matter how kind of uh, mom and pop or homish someone's packaging looks, that it, it's still coming from some, you know, large sterilized operation. You know, I'll be honest with you, Blake. I'm sure that people kind of skirt the system like we did. You know what I mean? There's yeah. got to be a way, yeah. or, or maybe they know the owners of the farmer's market. But for the most part, I'm sure it's being done in some type of um, commercial kitchen. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, these commercial kitchens, they don't have to be anything fancy. For example, um, you can have a commercial kitchen at your residence. It just has to be detached from your um, from your home, or it, you have to enter it through a separate door. Hmm. And then you can stainless steel it out and have your kitchen in there like I could do my garage if I wanted to. But you have to have floor drains and stainless steel everywhere. And, and you know, typical uh, what a commercial kitchen would look like. Yeah, for sure. And special walling and things of that nature. So to go back to your original question, what kind of advice could I give to somebody that has this great barbecue sauce or salsa like myself is the first thing I would tell them to do is if you're going to do the farmer's market, you might as well try and find a co-packer. And see if you can get a copac. Because number one, you're going to save yourself a ton of time by trying to use a copacker. Your time becomes valuable after a while. And and you also, before you even get to that point, you want to make a batch of your product and cook it. Because when you start dealing with all these uh, regulations, the best thing to do is to cook it so you don't have to worry about expiration dates. Mm -hmm. When you cook a product, you get a good two years out of it when you cook it and can it. Um, if you're doing stuff fresh, like I wanted to do fresh salsa, but man, I, I only got 30 days out of it for a shelf life. Yeah. So I had to go to the cooking route. So I would suggest to people, make your product, cook a batch, give it out to your friends, and then hound them for feedback. Say, hey, what did you get? What did you guys think? And and don't be offended. Tell them. Just tell me how it is. So what was your experience in that? How could cooking your product, I mean, I could see the example of barbecue sauce, that cooking it isn't really going to do much of anything. How the hell do you cook a salsa and not just completely change the flavor of it? And that's a very fair question. And unfortunately, what we had to decide to do, man, because our fresh salsa is outstanding. I mean, and anybody who makes a fresh salsa, it's going to be really, really good. But ours is outstanding. Obviously, we won tons of awards. But it does, man. It changes the salsas so tremendously that it's a totally different flavor because you're starting to break down the vegetables a little bit now with the cooking, and, and you know you can almost make it too mushy too. 
Um, so it does change. And so we had to make a huge, large batch um, cooking it because we had never cooked it before. And so we had to once again go into the kitchen with our co-packer and, you know, make several batches, basically investing money because you can't sell it and just for R&D. Because just because you make a batch at home in a small bowl, let's say a half a cup of salt and a half a cup of garlic and X amount of cilantro, once you do large batches, you can't just exponent the ingredients by, say, 10 times and go, oh, there you go, that'll be perfect. Yeah. you, know, you got to just totally redo everything, man. And it's not as simple as just saying, okay, I made one gallon at home, I'm making 30 gallons at the co-packers, i got to multiply everything by 30 now. No, because the more ingredients you add, it gives it more flavor and you don't need as much. You yeah. know what I mean? That's what I learned. Yeah. So, so you're uh, saying like in the case of salsa, maybe you would multiply the tomato, like if you wanted to go 30 times as much, you would multiply the tomatoes by 30 or maybe even more than that. But things like garlic, you only need to multiply by five or six or something because of how potent they are. That's exactly correct. Because the base, like you said, the tomato, you got to get to that 30 gallon mark. But all the other stuff, you might not need as much. So a lot of trial and error. You got to invest a little bit of money, you know, spend some cash. But eventually, I think that that you'll get there, you know. So question, what about other preserving methods? I would imagine for a fresh salsa, it would be probably better off to maybe just use some citric acid or something like that to preserve it rather than trying to cook it. Did you ever mess around with anything like that? I did, as a matter of fact. Um, We used to do a lot of national shows, too, because we were trying to go pretty big. And at some of the national shows, there was a salsa called Garden Fresh Salsa. And he was the only, if you can believe that, the only fresh salsa that was out on the market. And it was really, really good. And I was fascinated at how he managed his inventory, but he literally had a sales force that had to go out and rotate stock. Wow. Um, and he did, like you said, he just did, he actually did um, a preservative in it, which I wasn't a fan of. But you can do like lemon juice and red wine vinegar to kind of balance out the salsa. Right. Um, inter- interesting point, too, when you talk about the preservatives is when you do a type of sauce or what have you, you have to get the acid level or the pH level within a certain range or you cannot can it. <laughs> oh, whoa. That's crazy. What, because it might explode? <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it, it'll just ferment too quick and things of that nature. So I was totally unaware of this. And also, if the, if the acidity level is too high, um, it causes it to go bad quicker. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then also there's the fact that nowadays people are looking for any word that they don't understand on a label and then they just put that, you know, put that thing right back on the shelf. So if maybe you have citric acid or some sort of other, uh, you know, foreign substance in there to preserve it, somebody might not want it just because you have something there to preserve it, you know? Especially when you see things like xanthan gum or sodium benzoate. And you're like, what the hell? I just want tomatoes and chili. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I'm just trying to get some salsa. <laughs> uh, uh, so, Tim, talk to us fun. about scaling and stuff like that. So, uh, it, it, so uh, actually, let, let's just jump to the end of the story. So you ended up getting in supermarkets and stuff, correct? Right. So long story short, after doing the contest, and in 2005, we decided to start jarring it. Um, so then the next step was to try and land some of these accounts. and. The thing to remember is you, you have to go out and, and you're selling yourself and you're selling your product. And to get out there to get in these stores is just so tough. So I hit one of the local stores here, which is called AJ's Fine Foods, and it's much like a Whole Foods. And uh, I had to knock on their door probably four or five times until I finally got them to take a couple jars to their manager's meetings 
and let their managers of the 14 stores they had here in Arizona try the product. Now, what do you mean knock on their doors? Do you go to a retail location and you walk to the back and you knock on the manager's office door? Or do you find some sort of corporate headquarters and you're trying to make a meeting there? Funny story, because that's a great question. And that's exactly what I had to do. I started at the store level, just hitting up the manager saying, hey, I got this salsa, man. You guys got to try it. It's the best stuff. And, of course, they hear that from everybody, right? Because if yeah. you go into a store, there's, there's umpteen salsas to try. You know what I mean? So I'm entering a highly competitive market. So after these guys giving me the Heisman, you know, with the arm out, say, new little <laughs> <thing>, <laughs> several times, I finally just I – I walked into this store by my house, and I says, you know what? I do a lot of shopping here. And I had a bag of chips in my hand that was open and a jar of salsa. I cracked the jar of salsa right in front of them. I said, try this now, right now. Please, just try it. And so he was like rolling his eyes, man, and he, he dipped into the chips and he tried it and he goes, wow, he goes, this is the best jarred salsa I've ever had. I go, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Dude, because that's we, awesome. we believe that we do have the best jarred salsa. Yeah. So he tried it and he brought it in for me. He was like my champion, brought it into the manager's meeting. Everybody else tried it. They loved it. And uh, so some of the managers weren't there, but for the most part, then we had to go to each store and get orders because it got approved for the corporation. And uh, But then, Blake, just because you get an order and you get the product on the shelf, I mean, people just don't know, hey, it's also to Mattel, let's buy that stuff. You know, it, it's a, they actually have to try it. So then we started living in grocery stores every weekend, handing out samples. Well, so what year was this? When, when, was, when is this all happening? So this is all 2005, man, when we're, we're going gangbusters trying to be legit. And uh, we took it from the fresh product that we sold in sour cream tubs to a bottled product in 2005 that a co-packer would make for us. Yeah, it's interesting, man. That's so hard because I feel like that's before. So I feel like maybe 2010 to 2012 would have been the best time to have a really original product, you know, not made by some national supplier. It, that's like when everybody and still to this day, everyone wants to have something, you know, maybe made locally or um, a little bit more gourmet of a salsa or something like that. But now at a place like Whole Foods or even at just a place like Safeway or something, there are a hundred different options of local salsas and, you know, different gourmet salsas. Back in 2005, there probably weren't a hundred options, but you also didn't have people clamoring to get a local salsa, you know? Well, you're absolutely right. And one of our biggest competitors was, was sort of a local salsa, but they were big. And so the, the, the grocery stores like to deal with them. And it was called Goldwater Salsa for Barry Goldwater, um, the old senator. So they did very, very well. And you know what, Blake, you're right on point when you say probably the bubble was 2010, 2012, around that area. Ironically, we sold in 2010 because we were so busy, man, we just couldn't keep up anymore. And so... It was 2010. We have three boys getting ready to, to go to college soon, you know, in the next few years. And I was like, babe, our next step is to buy a salsa factory and start making it ourselves, or we just sell it and get out and buy a Harley and take weekends off. So in 2010, uh, the story ends. We sold the company, um, and we bought a Harley, and we finally got weekends off. <laughs> All right, so I want to come back to the part where you sold the company, but before we get there, let's go back to getting into stores. So you you were able to get into AJ's because of getting the manager to try your amazing salsa? Literally, man. I mean, they were they were so inundated with products, you know what I mean? And another salsa, they're like, whatever, buddy. 
And I, I literally had to do that tactic of opening the jar of salsa and making him try it so he could just taste it because I knew the salsa was the best, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so literally just had to go to each store and finally got one guy to try it. He took it to the meeting, got everybody to vote on it, and all the managers said, okay, let's bring this product in. And then I still had to go to each store to get them to buy into it. And at first, it was a slow process, you know. They just want to buy, like, you know, one case, and they don't want to give you a whole lot of shelf space. Yeah, of course. Because um, shelf space is like real estate, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and at first, I was at the bottom, you know what I mean? I was just, you know, you can't even see me. But because I would go to these stores, and I would do demonstrations for them and hand out samples, I had a couple people that would help me out in different stores. They started giving me better shelf space. Yeah. So the better I treated them and the better I supported the product, the better shelf space that I got. So, and then go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask, at this time when you were really trying to launch, had you left your job or were you still working and then trying to, after work, go to these, go to these stores to do these demos? See, that's a, another great question. And we, we both were still working. My wife and I are both x-ray techs. We work in the medical field. So we had full-time jobs. Um, and then, you know, twice a week we're picking up, oh my God, like I would go to my co-packer and I would pick up 80 cases of salsa on a pallet. He would dump them in the back of my truck with his forklift. And this, this stack of salsa, I mean, it was, it was, if you can imagine 80 cases stacked up on a pallet, it's pretty high. And then we would come home, man, and I'd get the kids out there and we'd unload the salsa from the cases, put it in our house. Because you had to keep it at a decent temperature, mm-hmm. you know, and then the kids would be like, "Oh my God, we got to unload all this damn salsa again." Um, <laughs> but, so we we'd unload, bring it home, unload it, bring it in the house, and then you know you're doing that twice a week, and then you got to prepare orders, call people for orders, visit stores, you know, because you got to get those relationships up. Um, it, it was just it became a really a lot of work, and then when we started doing almost a hundred thousand dollars a year in sales towards the 2010, I mean. I just told Julia, my wife, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore, babe. <laughs> so take us through zero to $100,000 really quick. So you get it into AJ's. Does that kind of then give you more street cred to go to other grocery outlets? Actually, that's exactly what happened. I mean, once we got into AJ's and people knew that they were selling it, then going into like Whole Foods and, and New Frontiers and other kind of specialty food stores that we have out here in the Valley, it was pretty easy to get done. Um, and then I did a little bit of advertising. So after getting a lot of the local accounts, like you say, like the AJ's Foods and Whole Foods, um, I wanted to start branching out a little bit and trying to go national. So I started advertising in a magazine called Chili Pepper Magazine. Man, for your listeners out there, if anybody wants to read an awesome magazine with some awesome recipes, it's called Chili Pepper Magazine. Um, you'd have to find it online. I rarely see it in the magazine racks. But just a great magazine, great recipes. You can learn a lot about chilies and salsas and, and then, of course, some great people that are trying to, to co-pack their products. Yeah. So it could also be like a learning tool for people out there trying to, to get involved in packing some sort of product. Yeah, definitely. But um, uh, go ahead. What's the next question? So, yeah, so you get, it, you get it into these other retailers. You decide that you want to try to go national. What, what is that? Like you, you have it at local places in Phoenix. Do they then give you the connections to national retailers? Well, it's funny you say that. So with Whole Foods, for example, when I got into Whole Foods, they approved me for the whole Southwest region, which included like Southwest California and stuff. But now I see I'm growing. So I go from selling jars of salsa. Now I'm into logistics. 
And so now I got to figure out um, uh, putting stuff, you know, on a uh, on a pallet and how much it weighs and what are the dimensions, and then getting a truck to come by my co-packer's place and pick up the pallet and then deliver. So I did that a few times, you know, and it just it, it was just too much work. There wasn't a whole lot of profit because once you start paying shipping fees too now, I mean that's eating into the whole profit of the salsa. Right. So it, it just didn't work for my size of operation. Now, my part not my partner, but the but my guy that made the salsa for me, Ken Smith, he makes a salsa too called Sting and Linger Salsa. But he was big enough and he owned the the uh, factory that it made sense for him to ship it and do stuff like that. Yeah. 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 I All right, so this is something I really want to zoom in on is your decision to sell the company. I what made you decide to do that as opposed to quitting your job and going for it? Fair question. Um, honestly, I could not afford to quit my job, and I could not afford to let my wife quit her job. We make fairly decent livings. And like I said, we had three boys in high school, you know, and going to be in college soon. And I just didn't feel it would be a good financial decision for me to dump all of our money into buying our own you know, corporate kitchen, if you will. Yeah. And just really going for it. You know, I didn't feel comfortable with the market to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of new players that had entered and in the five years that I took it legal and, and actually did it, there was probably three or four salsa companies that tried to come in, were in, and then went out of business that quick, you know, Whoa. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it's a tough market, you know? And, and if you don't get a good jump start, which we were fortunate, the reason why we were successful, I truly believe and I would recommend to your listeners, uh, this is a good point, is before you try and go commercial and get your product in a store and stuff like that, there has to be a reason for them to buy that product. And in addition to our product being a great tasting product, we had the awards behind us. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend anybody who thinks they have a great product, have your friends taste it, like I said earlier, but get it entered into some contests. You know, there's chili contests, there's salsa contests, there's barbecue contests, and and try and get some of those awards behind you and or if anything you're going to get some good feedback so they're going to tell you this stuff sucks what the hell are you thinking making this or they're going to say hey you know what this is amazing man let's take it to the next step yeah definitely man or you know there's lots of other interesting things internet wise that people could do today like if you had a product like a salsa you could probably create its own yelp page and ask friends or other people that were trying it to review it that then you could show to people or um you know like you said, starting out at a farmer's market, I mean, that's, that's another thing is that maybe you could keep track of how many units you were selling through a farmer's market and then let people at a grocery establishment know, look, we're already selling, you know, 200 jars every Saturday morning in just two hours. And then we sell out every single Saturday. You guys need to put this stuff on your shelves. And those are great points. And you're right. And AJ's did take heed of that because AJ's is a type of market that goes to these farmer's markets. They send their category managers out to look for some of these mom and pop niche products. And unfortunately I never got picked up that way, but they do that a lot now because they've become more of a, a fresh store or like a whole foods like that, where they want to have the, the unknown people with the great products. Like you, like you said earlier. Yeah. So at the point that you sold, you said you were doing about a hundred thousand dollars in revenue per year when you sold. We were, we were about, we were sub a hundred grand, but we were, we were right up there close to it. Um, and if you can imagine, Blake, you're selling like, for example, when I sell wholesale, I mean, I'm selling the salsa for like 
uh, like 20 bucks a case or something or, or 25 bucks a case, you know what I mean? So that's a lot of salsa to get up there through the year to, you know, sub $100,000 a year in sales. Yeah, no um, kidding. How many jars are in a case? 12? So there's 12 in a case. And then we had to deliver those ourselves because the other challenge that, that I had selling the salsa is um, it was hard to let go and let somebody else do it for you. So um, if there's another lesson to, to give to somebody coming out of this and to your listeners is don't be scared to get a distributor right out of the gate. You know, just just let go of it. Let the distributor take it over. You'll lose a couple percentage points in profit. But that distributor is going to deliver it, pick it up. He's going to talk to the to the stores and create the sales for you. Like, hey, um, I'll sell you ten cases of salsa, and I'll throw in three cases of chips. Um, by the way, I started making chips after a while too. So the distributor will take care of all kinds of deals like that. So all you do is count your money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So that's some big advice that I would give: is is don't be afraid to let go a little bit. I mean, get it going, keep it close to your chest, but after a while, you got to wean that baby and, and let it walk on its own. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. So even even with that as an option, though, that that didn't lure you to the idea of, of keeping your company. Well, I did start using the distributor, you know, after a while and let him help me out a little bit, but you know, then the, the profits were cut even more, and it just it wasn't worth the time to me to to continue. I said, you know what? I want to get out on top because I I was the king of salsa out here. It was great. And I said, let's go out on top. And then if we decide to do something later, great. If not, you know, we we had a good run. We learned a ton. We created an amazing product. We ended up with seven different flavors and and chips. And Blake, if you can believe this, our little company, Salsa Timoteo, owned the trademark, Got Salsa. <laughs> nationally that's and locally awesome. dude that's and we great. also own the trademark get sauced <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do they even let you trademark that that's incredible dude i was so proud of that because i worked it for it was about 18 months till i finally landed them because they got to make sure it's all clear and, and not even tostitos had got salsa you know yeah so, funny story though there's a there's a pizza joint out here called oregano's pizza uh really good pizza but they used to use the slogan get sauced and so one time I went to eat, and I'm like, hey, wait a second, that's my trademark. So I had my attorney send them a cease and desist letter or pay me $50,000 a year to use the slogan. And so they ended up pulling the, the slogan down. They didn't want <laughs> Man, that is crazy. That is, I'll, I'll be sure to never use that phrase ever again. <laughs> so when we sold the company, you know, I, I still have my company, but uh, we just did an asset sale. So I sold the, the, the recipes. You know, the trademarks, um, the, you know, anything to do with the company, the website. I actually had to give up my phone number that I had my whole life, basically. So that was tough. But uh, so basically, we just did an asset sale. We kept the company in place, and uh, the new guys just kind of took over. What's ironic, though, Blake, is I had to sign a non-compete agreement that stated that I would not sell any sauces, salsas, condiments, in Mexico, Europe, or the United States, or Canada. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes sense because they got to figure that, hey, uh, you know, Tim probably has all these great contacts now, and he's going to go into them and say, hey, 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 I sold off that salsa, but check out this new other awesome salsa that I just started making. 
You're exactly right, but at the time I was just laughing. When I'm just a little guy, I'm not that smart guy. <laughs> and they literally said they like they were like, you know what, Tim, you were smart enough to figure out how to get this on the market. So I don't know about you. Don't cut yourself short. <laughs> so what happened with them? Did they keep the name Timoteo Salsa and keep it going, or did they just want your recipes, or what? No, they did. I, one of the things that was important to me when I was interviewing people that were interested in the business is I said, look, I just don't want you to cannibalize the business. I take a lot of pride in it. You know, at least let it run for five years or so. I said, I think you can really go far with this. It's a great product. The name is outstanding. Um, the logo and the label and everything's beautiful. And, and so they agreed. They were really good guys. And initially, you know, we had signed a deal where I was going to consult for them to create a few more products, but they never really came through with that. Um, but I'm sure, and, and, you know, Blake, I even tried to talk them out of the sale because I wanted them to be sure they wanted to buy the business. And I told them, this business is so tough. I go, you have to work it, work it, work it. And then the profit of it, it's not a whole lot of profit. You know, it's, it, you can make money, but it's not a whole lot, but it's a lot of work. And they were like, no, 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 this is where we want to go. We want to, we want to go this route. We want to get into the food business. And so they ended up buying the business, man. We did the deal and, uh, I walked away and the product's still out there. People still buy it. People still sell, send me pictures of Salsa Timoteo where they get it, or around the nation even. It's kind of interesting. Oh, so they've got cool. it in a few different places, you know. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you leave our listeners off with like a final piece of advice and maybe a step one as well. If they have this kick-ass uh well, yeah, salsa that they make or a barbecue sauce or a rub or whatever it is, what would your word of advice be to them? You know, my word of advice is if you have a kick-ass product like that, you, you can have a lot of fun trying to take this to market. But I just want to make sure they understand how much work it is. It's not, it's not just like, you know, oh, as soon as somebody gets it into the grocery market, they're going to take it on. So step number one is make that product. And the best way, if you want to take it big time, you're going to have to cook it so that it's shelf-stable. So whatever product you're making, if it's not cooked, you need to cook a batch, jar it up, and give it out to your friends and get some feedback. If it doesn't taste too bad and it still tastes good and people love it, then maybe it's time to go to the next step and look for a co-packer. Yeah, for, I, I'd say don't give it out to your friends. Give it out to people that don't like you at all that are going to give you some really honest advice. <laughs> you, that's a great point because you don't want to sugarcoat it. You don't want to give it to mama where she goes, oh, it's good, Blake. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. In the background. You know? <laughs> but also, I, I recommend the contest too, Blake. You know, um, For your listeners, if you have something out there, do the contest. Number one, the contests are so much fun. You get your family out there, you're making salsa or barbecue sauce, whatever you're doing, and usually these contests are for a charity or something, so it's also for a good cause. Yeah. So that way, not only are you having fun with the family, it's a great weekend event, but you're getting some recognition behind your product. Yeah. Because after a while, when we were doing the, the salsa contest, I mean, we did it for probably 10 years. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. And people would come looking for us. Hey, how you guys doing, man? We hope you win again, you know? And, and then, you know, people wanted to buy it. You know, how, how can I buy it? And after a few years, I had the website where they could go on and buy it. And I would even ship it, you know, across the nation with, uh, with dry eyes. Um, so do the contest. Get some samples out there to people to try. If, you're, if your product's not cooked and you want to get it in stores, cook a batch and then give it out to people. Say, hey, try this. Let me know what you think. But I need some feedback. Um, you got to get that feedback. Yeah. And don't be scared, man. I mean, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I, I, they say you get like seven failures in life. 
So I, I, I'm, I'm through with two of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're doing pretty good. Only two. That's great. I had like two this morning. So That's funny. Actually, the salsa business was a great success. My wife and I had brought us closer together because we worked very cohesively. Uh, my wife was very introverted, kind of a shy lady. And let me tell you something. This woman became my, my, the best salesperson I've ever seen because she was doing it for our family and for herself. Mm-hmm. So she would get out there because if I would go into the stores and try and sell a product, they'd be like, no, Tim, how about just one case? But if I sent my beautiful wife out there, they couldn't say no to her. Of course. So, <laughs> one last piece of advice is sex sells, people. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, enlist the help of your uh, girlfriend, wife, whoever. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for the advice, man. We really appreciate it. Well, I hope I gave you some good tidbits, man, and I appreciate your interest, and I look forward to hearing the interview live on your blog. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. Talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you are now ready to take your food product to your local market and just shove it in the food manager's face so that way he can't say no to stocking it on his shelves. If you would like a couple of recipes of Tim's of really awesome salsa that you can make at home, go to halfhourintern.com and click on the show notes for the Salsapreneur episode, and there's a couple of links to free recipes that Tim has. As well, while you're there, you can check out links and show notes to any of the episodes that there have been so far. And while you're at your computer, you could also go on iTunes and leave a review for Half Hour Intern if you feel so inclined. I'm definitely not going to stop you. Thank you so much. I love you all.